Man, we got a lot going on this time of year. Too much. Too much. I mean, you, you've been working on uh, getting us ready for Nîmes and Vegas, and we got the ATA show coming up. we got a lot going on. A lot of stuff happening. A lot of stuff happening. And you just won the Utah Open. Yeah. So in spite of all the crap you've got going on, you're still shooting pretty good. Yeah, I practiced three times before that, you know. Well, that's all you need. Yeah. It's compound after got, all. Got the practice in. Shot my 100 arrows this week. I'm Shot good. your 100 arrows, and you're good to go. Yep. Hey, I'm George Techmichub, and I'm here with Steve the Big Cat Anderson, and we're back for another Easton podcast. This is like number 19 or 20 or something like that, so just a whole bunch of Surprised we've made it this far. You know, nobody's shut us down yet. People keep listening, apparently. I don't know why, Maybe. but I appreciate it, and, and uh, keep the questions coming to podcast at EastonTP.com, where uh, we're more than happy to answer your questions, even if we don't know the answers. Something like that. Say it with enough conviction and they'll believe you. I've heard that before and I don't like that policy. <laughs> I don't like that at all. All right. So, um, you know, Steve, uh, before we get rolling here, we've got a special guest we in the do. house. And this is the man, the myth, the legend, the president of the National Field Archery Association of the United States of America. The man has been putting on the Vegas shoot for the last how many years? You know, since 1999. This is Bruce Cull, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. It's a real treat to have you here, Bruce. Thanks for flying in from uh, South Dakota. Absolutely. We are, uh, we are privileged to have you here because uh, of a number of things. But one of the things we want to do is talk about this, this historic 50th anniversary of the Vegas shoot. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we had um, a hard enough time just figuring out that it was the 50th. Yeah. Uh, records for Vegas, of course, have been uh, very difficult because several different organizations were involved in running it. And uh, going back to its infancy in the 60s, um, there hasn't been a lot of history. Uh, so, you know, we uh, had some people do some research and we got to where we were. We finally made a decision that this was going to be the 50th. I think there was a couple of years that it wasn't held. Um, so we allocated, you know, some time off for that. But uh, this is definitely our 50th. Uh, we're really excited, um, you know, especially with what's happened in recent years. But, you know, going back, I, I shot the first Vegas shoot, I think, in um, 85 or something. And I'm only 30, so I don't know how I did it. But, mm. um, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, and, and what it's evolved to is incredible um you know you hear it referred to many different names i think the proving grounds of archery is probably one of the best i like that one. um or the indoor proving grounds whichever you want to call it but uh you know this year we're, we're so excited not only to be the 50th but the growth we've had just in the when we made our big move from the riviera to the south point um i think it was uh, the right thing to do obviously because this year you know our target number is 3,000 archers oh my god and you know in 99 uh, when we took it over, it was um, almost a situation of where we were really the bailout. Um, you know, several people, uh, pillars of the archery industry were involved in, uh, you know, subsidizing it every year. And uh, they looked at uh, some of the things that we'd done and I had done with indoor archery and our indoor nationals and said, hey, you know, can you guys help with this? And, you know, I looked at 650 archers and thought, um, yeah, you know, this is the prestigious shoot that we've all been involved in. There's got to be something we could do. And, you know, I'd like to say it just blanket-wise, the, the rest is history. But, um, you know, we went from the 600s to the 800s to the 1,000 to 1,200s. And then we kind of plateaued for several years at the 13 to 1,500. Yeah, those are the numbers I'm used to. Yeah, I'm slack-jawed and, right now, 3,000. Yeah, and, and, you know, last year, uh, well, two years ago, we were really shocked when we broke the 2000 mark and we went to 22 something and last year 2600 was like 
okay, you know, where's this going to end? And all of a sudden, from my position, I was um, becoming a logistic guy looking at, uh, you know, how many target butts we have, how many um, how many hours of the day we can shoot. How many all volunteers, yeah, how, how many much volunteers, practice space. Everything. The logistics are just incredible, yeah. mind-boggling. Yeah, and, and now, you know, um, you know, last year at 26, whatever it was, we thought, okay, you know, a, a good goal for the 50th is going to be 3,000. And, you know, right now, looking at those numbers, um you don't really know how it's going to work out. You know, we've really put the word out. Um, we've got some great, great staff. Uh, you know, Brittany is uh, our trade show manager and our marketing girl, and she just does an incredible job getting the word out, you know, electronically uh, via emails and our website and Facebook yeah. and everything else. So we're doing a really good job there. But uh, I think the big number that scared me was that the uh, 1st of December, um, our total number of registered archers was what it was last year in the first week of January. Right, a whole so, month different. Yeah, I mean, we're up 100%. Um, so you double right now yeah. the uh, numbers that you had this time last year. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, that could be just the result of getting the word out, and, and hopefully that's what it is. Um, the other thing we looked at, of course, was motel rooms, and that's right. one of the things we want to talk about because we don't want to have people hit the panic button, even though, um, you know, we tried our doing as much diligence as we could letting the word out that, you know, the, the room block is only so many rooms, yeah. it isn't a date. And, um, and, and we'll get to that. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll get to all that. But, you know, I, let's look a little bit at the legacy here. You know, okay. just, just just back up and, and think about 50 years of what has become the most successful tournament. I'm not talking indoor or outdoor. Right. Tournament in, in archery today. Yeah, well, you know, without a doubt. It's um, when, you, when you look at what it takes to put it on, it's... Um, well, you know, just just the event um, itself is like a whole years of most archery associations uh, oh, yeah. on the national or world level. Yeah, yeah. You know, our, our budget and our financial means is of a four day tournament is, is what most companies are for the whole year. And so. it's not just the Vegas shoot. I mean, it's the culmination, correct, of the World Archery World Indoor Cup. Yes, correct. And and one of the things that we did, um, a gentleman that there's no way I could talk on this program of yours without mentioning him is Juan Carlos uh, Juan Carlos Delgado, yep. um, who I first met wearing a sweatsuit at the Riviera and a gentleman by the name of Eric Watts introduced me to him and said hey this this is so-and-so and he won an Olympic whatever and you know I, I realized I'm talking to an Olympic gold medalist and he's there to shoot the Vegas shoot and his first words were this has been my dream yeah you know to yeah. come to this shoot yeah and um, you know that's when it started um, you know to, to really sink into me that this shoot has more of an international um, I guess, uh, point or international. Uh, oh, yeah, I mean, that, worldwide. Yeah, that, you know. that I hadn't realized so much because sure. we only had 10, 12 countries coming, you know, back in the Riviera days. And, uh, you know, it was ma mainly domestic shooters. Sure. Um, so that was a big thing. And, and then, you know, when we started to move on as we grew, um, World Archery came to us and said, you know, are you interested in doing something with a, with a world indoor? And when they explained it, um, we said, you know, yeah, this sounds like a lot of fun. And we had the first year was the World Indoor Archery Challenge, the WIAC, uh, which was in the Riviera on the night. And we combined it with our big Archers Appreciation Night, which you remember because you saw balloons and thought, what the hell is Bruce doing? Yeah. Um, and we're going to kill people. Uh, but, you know, we had a, a good time. We exposed the the old NFAA, the old domestic, the USA Archery Archers um, that hadn't seen the, the world presence uh, to a different format. 
And, um, you know, I, it was good for everybody. And, I, you know, again, we just evolved from there. So I don't think it could have been done without the change of venue, though. I, yeah. I think that was absolutely necessary for this thing. Yeah, one of the things, you know, for all, anybody that can hear this, because if, if you can't hear this, it means that you've been to the first shoots, you're not around anymore, <laughs> which it's old enough to say that now. But, um, you know, back in the Tropicana days, I think, which hits most of the people. Um, My first Vegas was Tropicana. Yep. Yeah, you know, the, the Tropicana shoot, the, the whole idea of the Vegas shoot was not only the competition, the money, um, but it was all being in one place under one roof yeah. um, and the camaraderie of yeah. the archers, you yeah. know, meeting people for their annual vacation, their annual archery vacation. Yeah, it was as much a social event as anything else. Absolutely, yeah. yep. And I think that's what South Point adds to it. Steve, what was your, uh, your first Vegas experience? Uh, my first Vegas experience was the last year they had it at the Riviera. Right. Yep. And I was I was super sick and I was drugged up so hard that I don't remember it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's probably right. The Riviera, you know, the Riviera had its place. Um, it did. You know, it was a good transition period. Yeah. There. We we had some growing pains there, and um, you know, it it was good to move on. But you know, yeah, you look at the history and and. Thank goodness, um, you know, our organization was in a position to, to take over um, and, and run it. And we've had some open minds and some very good discussions. And I'll tell you, you know, the, um, the, the format, just everything that makes up Vegas. I think one of the biggest questions I get asked is why did it become what it is? Mm. Why did it become the world premier archery event? And I think it's there is no one reason. But I think that um, two of the big ones are, are definitely, or three of the big ones is location. Location. I People want to go to Vegas. You know, and it, it's not expensive to get to no, Vegas, exactly. relatively speaking. The economy, what there is to do in Vegas is huge. But I think the other two things are um, the money. I think money is a big thing. And, 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 and We're going to so, talk about that in a minute because yeah, money is a significant factor in this year's Vegas shoot. Absolutely. I mean, the numbers yeah. are mind-boggling. You know, and, and I think it's um, not just so much how much we're paying. But I think it's uh, how we pay it, who we pay it to. And I, I think the real big reason, and a lot of people don't think about this, but, you know, of the 3,000 archers, 50% of them are in what we call the flights. Flights, yep. And the flights, for lack of a better name, is nothing more than a crapshoot. And to put that in layman's terms, what that is is everybody from – whether they're from Pumpkin Center, Idaho, or from New York City, um, when they come to Vegas, when they go home, they want to say that they won. And whether it be eighth place in the 22nd flight or first place in the championship, they won in Vegas. Sure, everybody's and, a winner. Exactly. And, and I think, you know, you have the top pros, um, like this guy right here. Steve um, Anderson, yeah. That are shooting for the big money um, and are very capable. And I think that all these young novice archers get to rub shoulders with them. I think that's a huge part of it. But yeah. the fact that they're in a crapshoot, when I say a crapshoot, it's really simple. If, if there's um, uh, 1,500 archers, we take a formula of every 30-some, we'll say 35 archers, and we flight them by their scores. So out of every 35, the top eight win money. And what that means is the 36th archer would be first in the next flight, mm -hmm. and so on. The cool part is nobody knows how that's flighted. So there's no sandbagging. Right. Um, we have different formulas that we're able to use to actually flight, um, which is very important. Um, and nobody knows that till the end of the shoot or going into the last day, whichever it may be. So that, that, I think, really adds a huge dimension to it. Yeah, because it gives everybody a fair playing field, as it were. Right. Now, let's talk for a minute. You know, Steve's here, so uh, I just want to get his perspective for a minute here on something. And it's the social aspect, but also the, the significance of the event itself. Every pro aspires to make that shoot down, you know, yourself as well. And, and uh, 
you know, I think that that's the focus for a lot of people is, is that shoot down that happens on that last night and Sunday night. And uh, people are all over social media talking about it, getting ready for it, putting up their 330 X's that, you know, show up on Facebook. It's we've talked about this before, Steve. People put a lot of pressure on themselves getting ready for this thing, don't they? Right. Not necessarily out of necessity. Undue pressure. Undue pressure. And one of the reasons is, I mean, there's some serious money this year. Look yeah. at these numbers. Bruce, why don't you tell us about what's going on with the, the, the prize package over here from the standpoint of uh, the money? Because, I mean, this is $325,000 prize pot this year. Yeah, you know, we, we've got the highest prize money we've ever awarded. Um, a big part of that is the um, Compound Unlimited Men. Right. Um, which uh, normally fifty k well, normally it's thirty right and this year we add an additional twenty thousand to the highest score shot so because it's the fiftieth it's going to be fifty thousand dollars so which you, is pretty neat yeah um, well you know you figure in you figure in contingency from manufacturers and you figure in contingency from sponsors and you look at this thing as a hundred thousand dollar arrow oh yeah and and you know that's the other thing um, I, I can't say enough when I talk about everything that made Vegas one of the other points that's huge is contingency money um you know our sponsors and manufacturers that support the tournament that support the archers um we i wouldn't be sitting here talking to you without them yeah um you know without easton hoyt and everybody else that's involved um it, it just wouldn't happen and um you know we don't even have a hard number on that but i'm guessing contingency potential is more than we're actually paying you know so this is probably yeah, I bet the total is yeah i'm sure we're at a three-quarter of a million dollar shoot um when you take everybody from you know the rest they shoot to the arrow they shoot to whatever it may be and of course to the big balls well, it all adds up sure yeah, it adds up so that's a huge part of it um but fifty thousand dollar uh this is a one-time deal yes, for the correct. championship freestyle winner right and but you're also very generous with some of the other divisions yeah we've we've added you know one of the things we worked on with the world cup um inception was uh the recurves and um i think we've got that right there but we're up to ten thousand dollars i know in seniors and ten thousand dollar first place championship senior compound championship female compound and championship male recurve yeah that's that's incredible i mean to look at those numbers and you know the one thing i'll tell you 1999 the basement of the sands um i gave a check to the winner of vegas for 1900 dollars. Uh, remember it like it was yesterday so you know come look a long way yeah look where it's come to and big big change yeah and it's definitely going well the other thing we've added um which is really a neat thing um with the support of the easton foundations um we have a scholarship program and we have converted all the youth awards um you know we used to just give an award and we still do but we uh came together uh, with an idea to give the winners of those divisions and we cut the divisions back so they're justifiable divisions and a lot of shooters and um, you could see that last year but we paid twenty four thousand dollars um, to first second and third uh, total we give a thousand for first seven hundred for second and uh, three hundred for third and these are scholarships and these are all scholarships um, you know they uh, they're kind of neat because they're able to uh, you know if, if it happens to be a youngest archer which could be 11 12 years old they're going to wait four or five or six years until they get that, but that's going to build for them too. But again, it's something neat to be able to say. And you that know, goes toward university uh, yep, books. It whatever. has to go to an educational institution, um, you know, for their academics. Mm. So it's it's a great program. It uh, it's 
something that we hope is yeah, going to help I'm, perpetuate. I'm, I'm really a strong believer in not handing cash over to Absolutely. younger shooters. I yep. think this is a great way to do this. And, yep. and the other thing we added, um, you know, a couple of the things that I think, in fact, with Steve here, I definitely want to get his take on something too, so I'm going to put him on the spot with something. But um, one of the things uh, that we've always looked at are little niches to help perpetuate this. And, um, you know, we added the junior pro division, as we call it. I think it's called a uh, just junior is the name we give it. But we're paying money out. And, you know, we added it last year. And obviously it was a awesome response. We had a hundred and some participants mm-hmm. and paid some decent money. Um, but like you, the one thing I don't want to do, I don't want to get expectations in young kids' heads. However, the other problem that we have is we have a pro division in our NFAA mm-hmm. that is only grown really from what we can earmark because of Vegas. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we need a feeder system. Uh, the pros aren't going to go out and raise their own numbers and get new people to come. So we have a feeder system to get into this pro division. And we're kind of watching it and making sure it doesn't get out of hand. But it's amazing, you know, the, the two factors are, and we had to check all the legality of it, of course, and uh, because we work in all 50 states, we had to make sure that, that everything was legal to pay them. And they have to be over the age of 15. They have to be, you know, under the age of 18 to participate in this. Um, but the scores are shooting are fantastic. Um, I don't think anybody would argue that. But so that's been one of the things. And, and you know, we had six, seven hundred total kids last year in Vegas. So the the number is definitely growing. Um, and we don't, like I said, we don't want to get expectations crazy. But I think it's worked well. And you know, the other thing um, that we had added, and everybody said, "Oh boy, Bruce has done something crazy here." When we did the lucky dog. Oh yeah. Um, and you know, it's really interesting because I didn't even know what a lucky dog was until somebody sat down and told me in NASCAR which is the largest spectator sport in this country, that somebody can win a NASCAR event and they actually go less distance than somebody else. And I said, you know what, boys, that's a mulligan, no matter how you want to look at it. And I thought, you know, this pressure thing, that the very first thing that our pro, our resident pro here mentioned, um, which, you know, is good and bad both in archery, um, is something I thought, wait, you know, there's a lot of people that go to Vegas. In fact, the first year I looked, it was 30, 40 of them. Um, They missed one arrow. <clears throat> and you know, you miss one arrow and you're out. And I thought, what about the idea of basically having a lucky dog in which they compete? And you know, I gave a lot of thought to it. And before I presented it to our board, I said, here's the deal. The lucky dog, there's going to be a shoot off. It's going to be more stringent. It's going to be tougher. Um, but one person emerges as a lucky dog. They get to stand in that line in the shoot off and they can either win Vegas or they can get last but they can't beat somebody else along the way. So, you know, I, I think it was interesting. We heard a lot of rumors about it, like, oh, I'll never do that. And I think it's taken off. I think it's credible now. I think it has its place. Yeah, it was um, polarizing to be sure, but yeah. I think it definitely has increased the interest in the shootdown. Well, yeah, and, and it gets people to another shootoff, which is kind of neat. And it actually exposes some of those that have missed um, a chance to see what it's like to be in the shootoff. So yeah, that's kind of neat. Although, although I've noticed some of the lucky dog guys are guys who've been in the shootoffs. And that's the whole point. You know, that, that was the point. Um, you know, that there's nothing, uh, one of the statements I've heard for years in the NFAA is when you talk about scoring, counting the X, not counting the X, you know, all the different uh, talk we've had, one of the biggest issues that comes down to is very simple, is who's the better archer? A person that shoots a, a 300 indoor game with one X or somebody that shoots a 299 with 59 Xs? 
And th that is a tough issue. You know, obviously um, somebody had one arrow that didn't fit in the group of the guy that had the, a whole bunch of arrows. So it's, it's always a controversy you're going to have. But um, I think that's something you just have to um, deal with, look at, you know, work at it professionally like we've tried to. And I think it's been a, a good thing for archery. But, well, the crowd clearly loves it. Yeah, the lucky dog has got his place now. And like I said, I think it's credible and it's good. So, no, we're, we're excited. You know, we've got so much going on um, that can't say enough about it. You know, the history of this event, uh, we've been talking about the 50-year history of this event, started out, you know, back in the uh, the old Desert Inn Classic, I guess. Yeah, the Desert Inn, Dunes, um, the Tropicana. The, the Sands. The Sands. Uh, it's been in the Sands Expo, the Las Vegas Convention Center, um, the Riviera Course, South Point. Um, you know, been around forever, I believe. Um, it's actually been outside uh, for a few years. Yeah, um, there was an outdoor event yeah. associated with the Desert Inn, if you It was the Desert Inn or the Dunes, one of yeah, those one way of those. back. Um, and yeah, it's been uh, it's been quite a history for sure. Indeed, it has, and uh, that history looks like it's. I mean, three thousand people, Bruce. Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. And so, so one of the aspects of that, of course, is uh, because you've you've already sold out the rooms at the South Point. Correct. As we speak today, it is the uh, what are we? The eighth of uh, December. Yep. Uh, but you've got Plan B. Yeah, we uh, and it's a good Plan B. Yeah, very good. You know, the South Point uh, has got a great location. As everybody knows, it's been there. Its uh, property runs between Las Vegas Boulevard and the Interstate. Um, it's uh, worked out great for us. And and right neighboring properties um, are, are the Grand View, and it's called the Grand View at Las Vegas. And we're talking a hundred yards away at, at most. Yeah, not e not even. It's, not even. I mean, if they wanted to put a corridor on, they could connect it. Right. But what's really cool about it is. Um, uh, we used them a little bit last year and a little bit the year before uh, just because we're of our growth. But um, one of the neat things is that it's um, it, it's kind of a condo timeshare hotel all in one. Right. And uh, the rooms are structured um, for a little different clientele. I mean, anybody can use them, but, you know, they've uh, every room has a couple of kings or a king and a queen. Um, they've got kitchens. Uh, they've got a big living room. You know, they've got some couches, that type of thing. But it's nice to have a stove and refrigerator, so they're better for some groups. Pricing is basically the same as what the South Point is. Um, and what's really neat is it, it's kind of, I don't know the exact direction, but it's located closer to our shooting venue. And, it's a shorter uh, walk to yes. get into the shooting venue from the Grand View than it is to walk through the casino and through the hallways in the South Point if you're staying in the South Point Tower. That's actually correct, yes. And um, we had people that had stayed there last year that requested to stay there this year that are some of our working crew yep. um, just because of that. Like and the guys from World Archery. Yeah, the, uh, a bunch the of the staff guys. Yep, uh, hit the roof. Uh, some of those guys have requested <coughs> to stay there because it's easier to get to. And it's a little more private. Um, you know, some of the things that are nice, the, the benefits, um, everything that you get at South Point, uh, access to the spa area, the workout machines, uh, the pools, all that, you get for staying at the Grandview also. So okay. it's a great deal. Well, that's awesome. But, you know, well, here's the thing. People are going to be listening to this. They're going to be going, oh, okay, I need to I need to check in at the Grandview. I need to set my rooms up at the Grandview. There's a little more of a, of a, of a procedure there. <clears throat> yeah. The, you know, once again, the Grandview isn't um, set up with 100 different um, reservation specialists. Because so it's more of a private place. Correct. Um, and, and, you know, it has its own pool, too, by the way. Uh -huh. right? So it has some privacy. But uh, you have all the privileges at the South Point. Yep, all the okay. privileges. Um, but, you know, there's a separate number to call. In fact, it's 866-752-9834. Uh, That's 866-752-9834. Three, four, and there's a group number that goes with that as well. Yep, which is M like Mary one 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 two seven. Now all of this is on the NFAA 
homepage, which Correct. is nfaausa.com, nfaausa.com. But basically, if you want to stay on, on venue, you still have the opportunity to do so in spite of the fact that the South Point rooms are sold out. And that's the Grand View at Las Vegas, which is right next door, actually closer to the shooting venue. Yep. And you have this uh, great opportunity to, uh, to get a room with, with the amenities. I mean, Correct. you know, a kitchen and all that. Yeah, and, and we're very Same fortunate. Price. Yeah, they, there's a you know there's some connection with them, obviously ownership wise. Um, and what's really nice is I'm not going to say we can't run out of rooms there, but it's highly highly unlikely. Yeah, because they have um, almost as many rooms as the South Point. So. But it sounds like uh, snap to it would be the uh, yeah you want advice maybe. Right. And, and the other thing, the the one thing I'll notice um, or that I'll mention is the fact that um, once again they don't have a hundred reservation specialists there, um, so you may get put on hold. You need to bear with them. Their times are little bit different um and everything's on the website too but. yeah 6 a.m to 6 p.m monday through friday 8 a.m to 4 p.m saturday and sunday and don't forget to mention that uh, group code which is m like mary 11127 correct and uh the rates are, are very reasonable i yeah. mean they're the same as the south Park, yeah basically. basically the same they all average out i know one thing that you have to do there um you obviously need to make sure you're going because i think you have to pay the whole thing with your credit card yeah, yeah. which is just typical of you know those type of yeah, timeshare ones yeah. yeah okay so bruce um you know with the logistics of three thousand shooters uh what else you got going on i mean you've got to have extra practice space you got 24-hour practice yeah. now i understand yeah uh, one of the big things we added this year um we we'd added a new arena last year um and we've added a third arena this year so it's going to be really neat um all the youth everybody 17 and under um, is going to shoot in one of the other arenas. Oh, dedicated and arena for the youth. Dedicated arena. And the other side of that arena, which is another arena, is going to be our full-time practice. Um, and we're adding target butts there, so we're able to accommodate more people there also. And, um, you know, we've expanded the trade show area a little bit. Um, so, yeah, we, we start 24-hour uh, practice on Wednesday. We've opened a day earlier. Um, and, you know, we've got being able to shoot all night long, it's, uh, we didn't know how that was going to be at first. But it sounds like some of the international people really love it. Absolutely, they do. And, you know, I mean, the, if you're coming from Japan or you're coming from Korea, like the LH team and, and uh, the team from Hyundai Steel and the teams coming from, I mean, you got people coming from France, you got people coming from Germany, you got, you know, a huge international turnout for this. I know the Aussies are really looking forward to this, the people in Great Britain. That is going to be their main focus, of course, is going to be yep. shooting and, you know, the having fun part, going down to the strip, all that stuff is kind of side benefit, but clearly they're there to shoot. And now you've got a great opportunity to just shoot as much as you want. Yeah, absolutely. Which that, is really nice. That's a huge uh, addition that we've made. The, the other things, you know, we've got something to do pretty much every night of the event. Um, Friday night, we have the World Archery Gala, right. which is uh, new last year and, and, and going to be awesome. It's um, improved a little bit this year. There's going to be a pretty neat demonstration there, um, archery-related. There's going to be some incredible awards handed out by World Archery. And, well, uh, and of course, let's remember Saturday night. I mean, it's the, uh, that's the big, the big event for the World yep. Archery uh, followers, and that is, of course, the, the grand final of the uh, World Cup Indoor. Which, you know, without giving away too much, I mean, that is the future of indoor archery, that yeah, event. Yeah, I, I really feel it is. I mean, the growth um, that we've had at Vegas is, is definitely... Uh, I mean, there's been some discussion as to this possibly replacing a regular world indoor in the future. Yeah, I, I think that there's been talk about that. And, uh, you know, I think something like that could be coming. Um, you know, when you look at the, the World Cup Indoor Series... Um, you know, the strategic location of the shoots. Um, yep. you know, Africa, Marrakech. Yeah, Marrakech. We have great access from Europe there. Yep. You have uh, going on right now as we speak, Bangkok. Yep. 
and then you have uh, Neem, which is a, the second biggest indoor tournament now. Yep. And uh, I think that that is a tremendous opportunity because here's the deal. It costs just as much to put on a world indoor, just about as it costs to put on a world outdoor. It's a big outlay. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, one of the things I think that World Archery has looked at, um, it's been a subtle approach, but I think that, um, you know, nobody in archery really wanted to do what we call piggybacking. However, um, I think that there's a real uh, reason to do it on these world indoors because of the expense. And the quality of the event because you have an experienced... I mean, just look at your own staff, yep. right? Look at the experience level they've got. Now take that and multiply that by Olivier's staff in Nîmes and the yep. staff running the other tournaments in the other place, Sangwan's staff in in, uh, in Bangkok. And you look at this situation and you go, you know what? Now we have a consistent quality event at each of these major world locations. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's a big challenge but also a big benefit. Very definitely. You know, speaking of staff too, um, you guys know that our our whole board took a vote um for the announcers uh you know for the shoot off and for the world cup do you realize that i'm sitting with the two of the people that are going to do that well one of them because steve's going to be in the shoot down well you know i know somebody that can control scores <laughs> so <laughs> steve come may, on <laughs> steve well, may be announcing no matter what he shoots all right well we appreciate that thank yeah, you but yeah thank you guys for helping with that too I, i'm um, personally not looking forward to working with steve in the uh, in the shoot down <laughs> because i know that uh that he has uh, absolutely been working hard all joking aside and he intends to make that shoot down so we're going to see him there awesome and if we don't, well, we'll hit plan B. There we go. All right. Yeah, we'll be ready. Because the man knows how to use a microphone. It's good. Yeah, definitely. All right. But, yeah, we're going to have fun either way. And, um, you know, one of the things that, uh, that I think that we have to recognize is this is not just the 50th anniversary, Steve, of the Vegas shoot, but it's the 50th anniversary of the X7 Arrow. So this year we made a commemorative 50th anniversary X7, which has a, uh, the silver front and the, the gold rear. And, and they show up real nice in photos I just saw from the uh, – Dean Alberga's efforts, uh, you know, uh, we're looking at everybody in Bangkok seems to be using those things. And I'm sure we're going to see a lot of those in Vegas. So we've got a promotional deal set up for the Vegas shoot involving the X7, actually involving anybody shooting an Easton aluminum arrow. We don't care if it's the anniversary arrow or not. But what we're going to do is we're going to give away next year's Vegas shoot room to a person that will be drawn by coming to the Easton booth and placing their entry. And we're going to cover their Vegas uh, trip next year. And you've got a deal, Bruce, uh, where you want to do a little promotion right now on our podcast. Yeah. Um, we, we just want to do a little trivia to actually help us. When I mentioned at the start of this that the history of Vegas has been very difficult because different organizations ran it, um, we're, we're going to make up a little 50th anniversary T-shirt. And we'd actually like to have people email in to your email, and you can tell them what that is, obviously. Podcast at EastonTP.com. Podcast at EastonTP.com. And we would like to know, those of you that have been to other shoot, the other Vegas shoots, what you've heard or what you have for memorabilia that has the actual official name on it. Okay. Um, and we're going to take from those hundreds and hundreds, I hope, of emails that we get, and we're going to draw um, a winner or winners, and we're going to give away some dinners at the South Point restaurants, uh, and we'll let them know by email, of course. But okay. We, we want to just try to accumulate as many of the official names um, as, as we're trying to draw this. You know, we've got... Okay, so the first person who comes up with the list of the official names of the event through the years... Correct. We'll win dinner for four 
through the NFAA. So we're going to yep. forward that winner to the NFAA, and you'll take care of the fulfillment. Yep, we'll take care of the whole fulfillment of it. Yes. And when they show up in Vegas, you'll 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 set them up for dinner at any of the restaurants Correct. at the South Point. Yep. And we'll give them a couple of the T-shirts with all the names on them. Nice. Too. You bet. That'll be great. So, um, in addition to that, I'm going to have a, an additional thing here that we're going to do. Steve is going to give a dozen X23 or X27 arrows to the person who can name the last person who won the Vegas shoot with a recurve bow in the pro category. And we're not going to say who that is. So whoever it is, whoever says that. Whoever says that first, whoever sends us an email first to podcast at eastontp.com with the answer to the question of who was the last pro to win the pro division in the Vegas shoot with a recurve bow. So you're talking the championship. Championship. Like the compounds and recurves competing they together. They were combined back then. Right, so you're not talking Ojin Hook last year. No, sir. Talking I'm talking about the last guy in your category, right? the big dog category, okay. to win it with a recurve. Uh-huh, so we're talking probably 20, 30 plus years ago. Oh, yes, more than that. Okay, cool. All right? Go. So the first person who sends that to eastontp.com, podcast at eastontp.com, will win a dozen X23 or X27 arrows, your choice, from Steve. Am I eligible? Yes, but because <laughs> I can say it right now. No, we'll just give you some arrows. <clears throat> okay, it's all good. good. <laughs> all right, Bruce. Hey, Bruce. Is there anything else you want to add before we uh, turn it back over to Steve? You know, I think just to encourage everybody to come this year. This is obviously a well, big I, one. Well, I don't know um, if we have to encourage anybody. We yeah, got three thousand people coming for Pete's sake. Holy absolutely. Cow. No, thank you guys for having me and uh, help promote the shoot. Well, let me tell you that uh, we I, I've described you before as the hardest working man in archery. Yeah, and okay. and you're right up there with Juan Carlos Holgado and Tom Dillon and those guys and. And I got to say thank you thank personally you. for Absolutely. everything you've done over these years. And uh, thank you on behalf of Easton for everything you've done to promote our sport and grow our sport. Thank you, Bruce I, I Cull. appreciate it. And thank you. 3,000 shooters. I, it's uh, mind-boggling. It's going to be a ton of people. It is. It's going to be a ton of people. And we're going to have a booth there. We're going to have um, some giveaways in the booth. We're going to be doing some special stuff, which as we get closer, we'll be in a position to talk about maybe we'll even do a podcast or two we might just do that because we're going to have of course some of the besides yourself some of the other top shooters and um it'll be a good opportunity to sit down with a few folks jesse broadwaters of the world and rio wilds and sit down and chat about uh how things are going with the season at that point because by then we'll have shot neem we'll have shot the tournament in uh you know rob Caulfield's tournament in pennsylvania and a lot of uh, important stuff will have been completed by the time we get to Vegas. By the time we get to Vegas. <laughs> All right. So uh, we've got a few. <laughs> that was pretty bad. Sorry. <laughs> we've got a few listener questions that we should tackle before we wrap it up. Um, we've got a uh, Harvey, Harvey in the UK. Harvey is uh, saying that we mentioned the use of supplements in recent podcasts. I hope perhaps you can cover sports nutrition drug testing regimes and what archers should look for in ensuring they don't fall foul of a positive test here we are trying to improve awareness of the issue i I think by here he means the uk trying to improve awareness of the issue of supplements and the risk of prohibited substances being present particularly in cheap supplements and also the use of over-the-counter treatments such as cold remedies that might contain banned substances. Mm-hmm. All right, well, this is really a good question, of course, because yeah, it could uh, be a whole topic in itself. It, it could, podcast. and and you know we don't have time for that, but we do have time to cover a couple of things. First, um, let's start at the top of the pyramid and work our way down. Drug testing in archery. Drug testing in archery is a function of the World Anti-Doping Agency, which of course World Archery is fully committed to, 
And so the uh, the doping control that takes place at each major world archery event, and this includes continental championships, for example, that doping control is done um, obviously uh, two ways. One's an alcometer, which uh, you know is a breathalyzer for those of you who are in the U.S. checking for alcohol specifically because alcohol is a banned substance. Then there is the uh, the standard urine test where you have to void into a cup and uh, the cup goes off to the lab. One of the samples is kept. One of the samples is tested, and uh, hopefully nothing shows up in the screening. That is looking for stuff like beta blockers. That is looking for stuff like alcohol. That is looking for certain things that are on the list, and the list changes from time to time, and I'm not a definitive authority on this, so you want to go to World Archery's website and look up what's banned. Now, some of the stuff that's banned doesn't actually help archery performance, but it's on the list because it's part of a wider group of products and things that WADA is concerned about that you know they want to keep out of sport. Mm-hmm. Could so, mask other things, something like that. <clears throat> decongestants come to mind, you know, yeah. certain decongestants for... Uh, and, and certain, you know, other medications that are used to regulate heart rate that are necessary for some people. I mean, they need them. And, and in some cases, there's a there's an appeal process by which you can get a waiver for some of this stuff. Uh, again, far beyond the scope of what we're equipped to talk about here. But I will tell you, read the label of whatever it is you're planning to take. If you're planning to take a supplement and you think you're going to be subject to out-of-competition or in-competition drug testing, absolutely be careful. Now, there was an Indonesian shooter who was banned as of uh, September. It's the first one I've heard of in a long time. And I have almost no doubt in my mind, I don't know directly what happened there, but I'm pretty sure it was related to some kind of a herbal supplement type thing that that person had been taking. I don't think they were deliberately trying to dope, but they, you know, they got caught because they had something in their system that wasn't supposed to be there. Right. And in the past, we've, you know, the one I'm aware of, the one big incident that I'm aware of cost the U.S. team their team gold medal back in 1997 when an American archer um, who was not Rio Wild and who was not D Wild, who were the other two members of the team, um, lost the team their gold medal because he was found to have tested positive for beta blockers. And that person went on to have a career in 3D archery to this day. But um, there's no drug testing in 3D archery, as far as I'm aware, except World Archery 3D, right? Right. So, you know, just you are responsible for what you take in your system. And, and as a, you know, as a top decathlete and as somebody who's participated in high-level sport elsewhere, Steve, you know, there's no excuses when it comes to doping. It's a function of you're responsible for what you're taking in. Yeah, know what you can't take. And I've always just kind of, uh, you know, the easiest way is just don't take anything. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, right, you right. Can, no, that, that's not a joke. I mean, the easy way is don't take a supplement. Yeah. Right? Now, we've seen some top shoot. Rio comes to mind. Rio has been promoting some supplements that he was taking a couple of years ago, I think, a year ago. I don't know what he was doing. But I'm, I'm thinking that he was really careful to make sure there was nothing in that yeah. stuff. And, you know, I, you've got to be super careful about this kind of thing, especially. the wilderness athlete stuff. Yes, yeah. yes. Him and Brady. Were yes. Gonna, yeah, yeah. And it's, I think it's just, you know, yeah. I mean, if you were getting a low-quality stuff, maybe you could have something slip through the cracks. But, yeah, you, yeah. you make sure your stuff is good. and Brand name stuff, from. whatever. Yeah. yeah, but, you know, the reality is uh, I go back to what Steve just said. Don't, don't bother taking a supplement. Don't do it. And I think that's that's the one way to really truly be safe. And, you know, um, when you're at competition, drink out of sealed containers and, you know, 
be mindful of what ha- people hand you and you know I'm not going to say anything about about the uh, the espresso uh, fudge that I that I get from a certain Aussie shooter <laughs> that's pretty good stuff but I bet you the caffeine limit is pretty close to what Waddle looks for and I'm just kidding Brian alright so that uh, that covers that question for Harvey he's got a separate question here uh, Harvey wants to know he's got a 12 year old daughter she's been shooting since the age of 6 wow that's pretty good started on recurve and now she has switched to compound how do you encourage young archers to continue in the sport when they have drops in form or as they get older perhaps lose a little interest Ooh, that's a tricky one isn't it let them do something else i mean you shouldn't be solely focused on one thing you know urban meyer the the coach of ohio state football used to be here in utah right yeah he used to coach here um he specifically states he doesn't recruit guys who only play football he wants multi-sport athletes I think that's critical in what we do here. I lose interest all the time, so I do other stuff, and I think that's important to the development is is keeping sharp and keeping the uh, the fire going, you know. So you got to have something else happening. And at 12 years old, I mean, you don't know what they're going to be good at. You know, it's best to try a lot of different stuff. They may be good at golf, you know, yeah. something that pays and, a lot and, more and money. Don't, and don't be that parent who pushes the kid because we've seen those things happen yeah. and it never, ever works out well. Yeah, it's just best not to rat hole anyone into anything. Yep. Okay. Next one. We've got uh, Jason calling in with uh, thanking us for the podcast. He's writing to us from Ireland. And he wants to know, without giving away any trade secrets, whether you think aerotech- where we think aerotechnology is going in the next few years. Obviously, the X-10 has been dominating recurve archery. What do you think will be the next innovation in arrows? Well, you know, I've often said the ultimate arrow, and this is actually not my idea. This is Jay Bars. The ultimate arrow costs one cent. It is good for one shot. You show up at a tournament with 166 of them so that you have some practice arrows, and then you have your 144 scorers. You shoot the, uh, the, the one cent arrow into the target, and then walk down to the target, score, break them all off because they're made of some frangible, you know, biodegradable material. <laughs> well, okay, here's the deal. Um, where I see things going will be hopefully toward more affordability, hopefully getting uh, top-level gear into the hands of people at a lower cost. That's hard to do because the... The cost of materials hasn't changed in spite of the fact that some of the stuff that the stuff is based on has decreased in cost. But, um, you know, I, I really think that the next innovation in arrows is partly going to be constrained by bows and partly going to be constrained by target butts. Because right now, right now, we could make an X10 25% smaller than an X10 is now. How are you going to stop them? That's the problem. So that's a problem. There's and and then there's the question of how much do you want to pay, right? Which I mean, because I'm guessing it's more than twenty five percent more expensive. Oh yes, I mean, I don't know anybody out there eager to spend two thousand dollars for a dozen arrows. Nobody. It's not not good for the sport. Yeah. It wouldn't be good for the. Sp- it would suck. It would be awful. So yeah, we can do that. Is that a responsible thing to do? Is that the good thing for the sport? Look. The great thing about archery, the difference between archery and, say, a sport like MotoGP, okay? Um, I'm, you know, I'm a motorcyclist, and I'm a MotoGP fan, and I will never, ever, ever buy a bike that is competitive in MotoGP. I can't yeah. do it because it's, it's millions of dollars. Right. The bike that, that, 
that uh, Danny Pedroza rides or the bike that Valentino Rossi rides, those are three, four, five million dollars a piece, as opposed to my seventeen thousand dollar, you know, sport bike. Now think about that. The the difference in cost between what those guys ride. Now here's the deal. You, right now, listener, can buy exactly the same bow and exactly the same arrow that Steve Anderson shoots. My dad actually brought this up to me the other day. He said, you know what, you like having, it's you working at Easton is like having the the factory, you know, Honda work sponsorship. I'm like, no, it's really not. There's because, a big difference. Yeah, I, I don't shoot anything that's not off the shelf available. Exactly. There's not one thing on my bow that everybody else can't get. Same here, except so, for the gold clicker that I got from Warner Bider. But, that alone. but you know what I'm saying. Fun, I mean, yeah, yeah. Functionally. Functionally, yeah. Everyone, everyone has the same equipment, top to bottom. I mean, even you know, even when the on, when the bows, you're talking the bows. I didn't have anything custom from Hoyt. When you worked at Hoyt, you shot off the shelf stuff because guess what, folks? That's actually much easier than going out there and having something special made, and then having people come up to you at a tournament and go, "Hey, where do I get one of them?" Yeah. So there's yeah, I didn't have custom risers or limbs or cams nothing you know yeah none of that stuff gets used in competition per se i mean you know they'll they'll build it and they'll test it in the lab and stuff like that and that's how you make new stuff but you know what you're not going to find that uh, today you can't buy anything that is being used by ojin hyuk or uh, takahara furukawa or brady ellison or any of your favorite shooters steve right. anderson because they're all using off-the-shelf stuff and you know honestly i think that um that's you know something that's very special about our sport it's rare in sports anymore yeah i mean you know uh if you were tomba on skis you weren't able to buy tomba's skis he had special skis made almost every olympic athlete except in the sport of archery has special stuff made for what they're doing special shoes for basketball players uh and and by the way they've earned all that they absolutely have but in archery you know it's sort of egalitarian in that regard you don't we don't have special stuff for specific shooters so that's uh, hopefully that's a little bit of insight there. Uh, Bill Barnes understood our uh, one ping only Vasily reference, so thanks for that. And, and I, thanks I, for the the listener Andy. Yeah, uh, for Andy, it was Andy, right? Yeah, it was Andy. Yeah, Andy sending in the. Uh, you so guys, it's funny. I, did I, you watch it? Well, I've seen it before. Oh, you so know, I need to I need to watch it again. Apparently, well, obviously you need to watch it again. We so. had a package come in the other day from Amazon addressed to me i opened it up and it's hunt for red october and i'm like what why would i buy this i have it on netflix you know and uh i went around the office asking if anybody was you know expecting a package i checked my amazon account couldn't figure it out and then george started laughing at me so thanks andy that was uh that was clever it was rather funny we got another one here from uh let's see from Vinny. and Vinny doesn't tell us where he's from but uh Vinny says he loves the podcast. Once he hits play, no work gets done for the next hour. Hey, same's true for us. <laughs> <laughs> Once we start recording, nothing, nothing gets done. Good thing he runs his own business, he says. Uh, Vinny has just recently switched to Recurve uh, three weeks ago as of uh, the writing of this thing. So we got that back in November, so a month ago. He started with a biter clicker in 020. That's the thickness in, uh, in inches. But found it too soft. By the way, 020, sorry, that's the thickness in millimeters. That's a that's two tenths of a millimeter thick, so that's the um, that would be the softer of the of some of the options. There's an O two five and an O three O as well. Ah, here we go. He's from Australia. So Vinny says a fellow Aussie has been reproducing <laughs> has been reproducing the sexy leg carbon clicker in various thicknesses. You know who started that? 
is our good friend Yukio Tamura from Angel. Yukio gave me one of those things. I was kind of horrified because you know what it looks like to me is the you know the naked chrome lady you see on yeah truck, on the mud flaps truck mud flaps. Yeah. And, and, so for an Aussie who's never been to America, truckers, there's this sort of image of a reclining nude silhouette that goes on mud flaps on trucks and we call it the naked chrome lady right because right. they're, they're almost always chromium and 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 well endowed and, and it's the leg part you know that you're thinking of you 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 whatever and <laughs> anyways so um he's saying that the carbon clicker is a lot stiffer than the biter clicker can your clicker be too stiff i Okay. Yeah, it can if you have a super soft cushion plunger. It's depressing the if plunger it's, button. Yeah, if it's depressing the plunger button as you're coming through the clicker, uh, that that's pretty much it. That's when it's too stiff. Or if the arrow rebounds, you know, when, mm-hmm. when the thing goes clicks. And, you know, let's face it, you can figure that out pretty quick just by eyeballing the thing and pulling through at a close distance on a target. So, yeah, it is possible for the clicker to be too stiff. He says he's waiting for the History of GT podcast. Maybe have Marcus do the interview he's talking about marcus and near i think yep i don't do interviews all right so um <laughs> he's big time in you mm-hmm. yeah okay um uh, we've got one more here that we're going to tackle before we wrap it up for the day and that one involves the question of um it's this one here about bare bow recurve archery this one comes from matthew and matthew says that um He's a bare bow archer, mainly competing in 3D and indoor. And he loves the perceived simplicity of the equipment, but just like anything, the devil's in the details. Well, you're not kidding. Bare bow can be as complicated as you want to make it. What are your general thoughts on bare bow archery? Um, hmm. All right. Basically, there's two places where bare bow is relevant. You know, outside of, mm-hmm. outside of your self-satisfaction of shooting bare bow, which is it's a great hobby. You know, it's an awesome hobby. And I, some of my best friends in archery are bare bow shooters, like Skip Trafford, guys like that. But, um, you know, the problem is in world archery, bare bow is only relevant in 3D and, and field. in field. That's it. That's the only opportunity you have. Now, bare bow is huge in places like Sweden. And you know why? Do you know why, Steve? No. Because in Sweden, the system there makes you shoot a bare bow for the first, oh, I don't know, three, four months. That so you get involved in the sport. On. So, yeah, it's normal for a club shooter in Sweden and places like Sweden to, to start with a bare bow to get the feel for the equipment. Now, here, the very first thing that uh, U.S. trained coaches do, and in fact, I think the first thing Korean coaches do once you get to touch a bow, is they throw a clicker on there. So, no more bare bow, right? Um, I, think, I think part of the, 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 Interest in bare bow may be coming from some of the stuff in the media, you know, some of the movie stuff. Uh, because, after all, Katniss shoots a bare bow, right? And uh, I still have yet to see the movie, by the way. But <laughs> the point is that, that, you know, a lot of the media portrayals of archery feature what you and I would call a bare bow. But as our, uh, as our listener here points out, as Matthew points out, you can make this complicated. You can make it super complicated. And, as a result... Um, it's, it, it gives you back what you put into it, like any other part of archery, right? You, you devote yourself to bare bow archery. You can be a top bare bow shooter. You can go to the World Field Championship. You can go to the World 3D. And you can be toe-to-toe with the Italians and the French and the, and the Swedes. And, uh, you know, that's, that's, where that, uh, that's the wheelhouse for that, that sport. I kind of really actually like the uh, 
world field because of that you know it's it's their moment kind the of, team rounds kind know? of oh yeah that's true yeah. that's true you know forgive me for making this statement but basically world field is the olympics for barebow shooters yeah because barebow unfortunately or fortunately however you want to look at it barebow will never ever be in the world outdoor target championship and it will probably never ever be for sure it'll never be ever be in the world indoor target championship because that might only have one or two more iterations before it gets replaced by the indoor world cup and you know without a doubt not going to be in the olympic games so you know barebow has its place but that it you know it's uh not necessarily at the world level outside of field yeah. and 3d but yeah watching those guys at field i mean they have some of those guys are hardcore they they are very hardcore and it's mm-hmm. cool to me yeah. it's cool i mean they have their their systems and their way of doing things yeah. and but don't kid yourself by by telling yourself oh i'm doing it because it's pure and it has no equipment and this those guys are more technical they have different arrows for different distances. They've got different points that they put on their face for different distances. They're counting the freaking stitching on their tab. I mean, come on. Who are you kidding? Yeah, counting, serving. You might, as well, you might as well put a side on that sucker for yeah. some of these guys. So, All right. But, um, you know, the other question he's got is, uh, do we have many barebow athletes come to the Easton Training Center? I don't think so. And, I, and again, it's that reason I just gave you. Basically, barebow has its place that's kind of in a niche. And... The training centers for Olympic athletes, and that's for the most part true. Now, of course, the training center has. Well, the training center is recreational. You know, you're not excluded if you're not an Olympic athlete. Well, let's let's understand which Eastern Training Center we're talking about, because it just says Eastern Training Center. So, if we're talking about San Diego, we're talking Recurve. Mm-hmm. If we're talking about here in Salt Lake City, it's everybody, including barebow shooters, whatever you want to bring, short of a crossbow, maybe. They'd probably uh, let it fly. They probably. I bet you Trevor would figure out a way to get you mm-hmm. accommodated. So, you know, yes, you're welcome at the Easton Training Center here in Salt Lake City with your bare bow. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, I just don't know if we see a whole lot of them. No. I don't know if- well, and there aren't that many dedicated bare bow. I know, the, I know most of the bare bow shooters in this country, probably there's less than 20 competitive ones in this country. Yeah, I think they had You know, Mark Applegate, guys like that, you know. Uh, Skip Trafford, of course, and, um, you know, a few others. But Yeah, Ben Rogers. It's not uh, a big number of people. And they're older guys generally, too. That's the other thing. Although that's starting to change, I think. Yeah, we have a we have a, a really tight knit contingent that shows up at our our field nationals, you know, and those guys. I think you know those guys actually are very passionate about it. They are, and they're competitive when you get to the world field, and they give the yeah the surprisingly Swedes their so best when you run. Yeah, absolutely, because when you consider the Swedes being sort of the Koreans of bare bow, yeah, you know. <laughs> Our guys hold their own. They hold their own, and our yeah. women too. It's cool. They so. had a they had a more more barebow than compound at our last national field. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it's uh, that's uh, it's it's a cool thing to watch. The the, the really good barebow guys are pretty amazing, jaw dropping in terms of accuracy, and uh, so it's it's cool, and and we like it because you know it's all archery. It's all archery, and none of it's instinctual. No. <laughs> no. 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 But uh, you know what? My coach, Dick Tone, he's more an, of an instinctive archer. And if he can see it, he can hit it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Within reason. Right. So, But, you know, he's not trying to shoot. He's, you know, Brady Ellison just now shot a uh, 97. 597. 597 at Bangkok. And, by the way, we're going to talk about Bangkok before we wrap it up. Um, you know, we've got uh, a score that was shot by Brady, of, you know, two points off perfect. Three. three points off, excuse me, three points off perfect, tied the world record. Nobody's ever going to do that instinctively. 
not going to happen. But, you know, moment of animal, (laughs) (laughs) it's a whole different ballgame. So a guy like Dick Tone, you know, he can shoot a pheasant on the fly, right? Right. But, um, you know, that's different than than repeating 60 shots and putting 57 of them in the 10 ring. There's a number of... Another jaw-dropping thing, by the way. Yeah, it's just I mean, amazing. There's, there's, there With are X-10. really, really good compound shooters who will go to Vegas and miss three on the first two days, you know? On the first day. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, And Brady did that with his X-10s. He didn't shoot fat aluminums. Right, he did. So Brady and, uh, and the Americans in general did fairly well in Bangkok. They had a great tournament. Rio with his X-23s, uh, he really uh, uh, did very well. I, I'm pretty sure that... Uh, that we had uh, Easton sweep at this event. I think it was 12 for 12. Yeah, so pretty solid shooting. Um, you know, the Americans picked up five medals at this thing. Brady, Rio picked up gold medals. And, um, you know, some other friends of ours did very well in this thing, like uh, Luis Alvarez. Uh, Luis had a semifinal round uh, against Brady. And um, uh, Orlando from Mexico, he did well. And, you know, we had um, overall some pretty cool stuff. But, I, you know, you could pay money to watch that final between Brady and Ojin Hyuk. And uh, it was a 6-4 win on set points with Brady beating Ojin Hyuk. Three straight sets of 30 put Brady up um, and then uh, ended up taking the match 6-4. And Brady called that a good start to the season. So there's... <laughs> A good start to the season, tying the world record. Yeah, I guess so. He's done that four times now. The one I liked was uh, Aida Roman. You know, she took the win and women. The only non-Korean in the eighth elimination or yeah. quarterfinals. Well, I looked down the list further, and I think of the top sixteen, I think four or twelve of them were Koreans, yeah. and then there was two other Mexican archers and Mackenzie Brown. Yeah, yeah. So it was. Uh, that's. I mean, that, that could be the the taste of, you know outdoor world cups yeah. they were open events as well Ida, Ida shoots like uh, Korean you know yeah, I mean, well she's Korean trained so yeah and she beat the Olympic silver the Olympic silver medalist Ida Roman beat uh, Sim Yi Ji who we haven't seen on the international circuit she's one of the I mean you know I, when I say second seed Korean I mean that in a, in all respect you know she's one of the club you know one of the company team members from Korea yeah from the LH team I think yep I believe you're right um don't know if they were wearing their golf gloves or not but uh you know looking at uh compound uh the Wild Brothers did a great job Logan and Rio made it to the uh, semifinals uh Logan went out and Rio won the semifinal match so it was Matt Sullivan is that right yeah Matt Sullivan a local guy from uh Utah yeah he's from up here in Park City okay so, so Matt Sullivan um, lost to Rio by a point, I believe it was, in the uh, gold medal final. And then uh, both Logan and Crystal Galvin uh, won bronze medals uh, for the USA. And um, we also had top shooters like uh, Mike Schlusser in the final there. Yep, Mike uh, came way fourth, lost to Logan in the bronze match. Mm-hmm. Logan holding tight there. I guess him and Rio in the semis both shot inside-out Xs, but Rio's was more inside-out than Mike's. More inside-out than Mike's. Mike had an inside-out X, Rio had an inside-out X, and Rio's was more inside-out. More inside-out. I don't out. think you get much more precise than that because that's a 23-size <laughs> arrow they're both shooting. You can uh, you can hug a wall. They're, they're both shooting the anniversary X-23s. Yeah. There's not a whole lot of room. You can hug a wall. 
My word. And you can donut one. Well, um, that's it's solid shooting on both of those. Yeah, with, parts. with Rio, Matt, and Logan going over there and winning, you know, they could have just stayed here. They're all within two and a half hours drive, you know. Yeah, and then they go all the way to Bangkok. They yeah. go 30 hours travel. We did that uh, two years ago when it was in Singapore. Yeah. It was uh, Rio won, Logan was second, and I was third. Yeah. We, we thought, why don't we just stay home next time? No. <laughs> We, we asked them the next year, and they said, no, you got to show up. <laughs> you have to actually go. You can't do a mail match for a World Cup indoor. <laughs> um, you know, uh, Bridger Deaton was in there as well. Um, Kim Taeyun from Korea, he did well. So, you know, it was uh, solid shooters. And uh, Rio out of the box making a buzz with his new bow sponsor. Uh, Crystal, uh, with her new bow sponsor, doing well. Toya uh, as well. Toya Cern, Toyo, yeah. yeah. Toya's shooting a Hoyt. Crystal's shooting a Hoyt. Uh, Rio has switched to Elite. And, uh, you know, at that level, they're all, they're all, yeah, I mean, Rio's had a month to really work with the thing. So pretty solid shooting and uh, a good event from all accounts. Um, next stage, Neem. Neem, yeah. And we're looking forward to Neem. I expect that we're going to see a record turnout for Neem, just as we have seen a record turnout for the Vegas shoot this year. So we're looking forward to that. And, uh, of course, we'll have Le Casquette for our friends in France. <laughs> Le Casquette, yes. If you've, yeah. uh, if you've never been to Nîmes and if you ever – you just got to hang around a manufacturer's booth. Get around Hoyt or Easton's booth. and It's, it's, like, it's like blood in the water for yep. sharks. If we got out a box of Casquettes, which hats. are hats, they would be gone in minutes. Not even minutes. We're yeah, talking 10 seconds. seconds. Yeah, they're right. out. It's, yeah. it's like like a shark feeding frenzy. Yeah. But you know what? I they didn't. Have, they don't. I don't see them wearing them. I don't know. I, I where do they them. go? I don't know. Who knows? On the wall. I don't. All right. We bring them. We got some cool stuff coming up for Vegas too, as we discussed with Bruce earlier. Um, we're going to have a giveaway at the Easton booth almost every uh, couple hours of different items. We've also, you know, um, I don't think it's too soon to say we have uh, a new quiver, a new series of quivers. And what we're going to do is we're going to create a Vegas commemorative version of that quiver, maybe several of them. And we'll probably be giving some of those away a couple times a day during the Vegas shoot is the plan right now. So uh, stop by the Easton booth in Vegas. We'll have a a signboard up and... uh, we will yeah, have, we'll have a giveaway uh, schedule. A schedule for all that sort of thing. So Steve will be handing out the tickets when he's not shooting. Oh boy! Well, you're the tallest one. In the, you're the easiest one to find. I suppose. Yeah. Well, it's the truth. You're the easiest one to find in the in the crowd. So I'm putting my hand in for a ticket. I may be the loudest, but you're the tallest. So. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm hoping I get to go to some of this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> got a few. Got a few little. George's got a little kink in the back. Got a little problem. Yeah. I need a little. Need a little bit of. Uh, medical work before i can just fly. your old run-of-the-mill you know disc removal yeah yeah that's kind of a setback it has not helped my archery right now i'll tell you that much it has not helped my walking or ability to move either there's other so. things more important yeah holy smokes i didn't realize you could actually go through that much pain and be alive well yeah it's pretty funny when it's uh, awesome when you get drugged up on your painkillers and come into my office but you know do, do i have a different we, we won't we won't go into specifics do i have a there. different demeanor what are you trying to say yeah it's a bit yeah it's a bit different okay less focused let's say <laughs> <laughs> uh, they do make some good pharmacology stuff i'll say that and uh and 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 i'm thankful that i'm not subject to doping control right now. <laughs> yeah you wouldn't pass no i would not no i would certainly not pass if i had that going on this is an unpleasant experience but 
they say pain is weakness leaving your body. I will therefore be Chuck Norris next month. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that just about wraps That's it up. That's the end you of show. I end think. of show? Yeah. End of show. End of show.